Hello again, and welcome to the next exciting installment of the Who Cares About Anime podcast. In this corner, it's me, your host, Johnny Lobo. In the opposite corner is a familiar voice and my good friend, Michael, from uh, Did You Know Anime? They don't make gravestones for stray dogs. I bet if you've been keeping up with with anime uh, as of this recording, it being... Uh, summer of 2018, really a a great year for anime, actually, if I may say. You got new Gunsmith Cats, got I Tenchi Muyo series dubbed, and another great thing about this that uh, Mike and I here both experienced at the same time, and we said this is really special. Uh, it's going to be really fun to talk about, so let's do it. So of course we're talking about Megalobox, 13 episodes wrapped up here in 2018, uh, and it was a very creative, fresh retelling of Tomorrow's Joe, uh, Ashita no Joe, uh, which was a very popular manga turned anime. Uh, Mike, help me out here. About how old is uh, is the original manga? Well, as it uh, it says, it's, it needs, the icon probably should be bigger than the anime, but it says it's the 50th anniversary, so the manga came out in 1968. 1968, folks. Wow. So, for uh, old fans of Tomorrow's Joe and uh, new fans alike, welcome. And uh, if you're too new to Megalobox and have not seen it uh, while you're hearing this right now, as I always strive to do, I'm going to give you a friendly spoiler alert warning. Uh, Stop now. Uh, because we're going to be talking about it, and we're going to be spoiling stuff along the way. And I don't want to spoil stuff for you. I don't. I want you to experience it yourself, uh, as with every title we've done thus far on the Who Cares About Anime podcast. But uh, this one, I'm still feeling the hype about it. I'm sure the same can be said of my guest today. And so, go see it. And then come back, and listen to it, and cue it up right here. So here we go. Um, you know, let's just... I, I figured in this instance it just being the two of us mike and uh you know uh, incidentally i happen to be over at your pad and we were doing work on something we're always doing work on something i can't even remember what but walk me again and uh and the rest of our listeners through that i because I, I think it was you who uh put us onto that you said hey you know i have you heard about Megalobox? And I said, yeah, I've seen that been going around. Um, surface level, I thought, I like the aesthetic. Um, be something I've, I've been considering checking out, but I just haven't. And I'm pretty sure you pretty much said, like, well, let's take a break. Uh, I've been thinking about watching it myself, and, and let's check it out and see what this is all about. Um, so why don't, why don't you take it from there? So I had heard about Megalobox as soon as... Because, like, I, I heard a little bit of rumblings, and all you have to do is look at that main poster that everybody posts, and you immediately go, Cowboy Bebop, old school, it's boxing, it looks badass, he's got the gear, so it's got that sci-fi effect. Everybody on ANN and Crunchyroll, you know, Mike Tool, all of them were just gushing about it. They were like, it, it, people people I didn't even think would talk about Megalobox in a positive way like the anime man for instance loved it right out the gate so i'm thinking okay this thing is crossing generational boundaries with anime fans and you know it's it looks different it looks like it's a different change of pace and then i found out you know it was based on the original ashita no joe tomorrow's joe and so i thought you know what i'll put it on the back burner but this one is one i want to try and so you know we were working on something and I thought, you know what? This would be a great opportunity. Let's watch Megalobox. Let's see how good it is. And so we sit down and I queue it up. And uh, as soon as we start watching it, it's hype. Like, the music immediately hits you. Uh, done by Mabanua, uh, who is a hip-hop artist, who also worked on uh, Kids on the Slope, which is a Shinichiro Watanabe uh, production. So you know the if he if he's working if Shinichiro Watanabe is working with this guy it's got to be good and it immediately hits you the thing that it just it it immediately hits you as soon as we started watching it and it takes all of a minute or so 
to just hook you. You know, if you're a fish in the water, this anime just comes by, especially if you're a classic anime fan, it grabs you immediately. I think that's fair. I think that's fair to say. I, I certainly was drawn to it, and I, I think I think the music was a big part of that. You know, and, and I, I think we're going to be reiterating this uh, throughout the cast, I suspect, is the music is a wonderful example of that, of um, I, I feel the entirety of this production is a mixture of fresh and throwback. I mean, for example, I think all the, you know, soundtrack was great for it, but at several key moments, and everybody will know it if you've seen this, what I'm talking about, and uh, I I asked you, I remember going, Mike, what, what's the name of that track? You know the one I'm talking about. And uh, the internet tells us it's Get Up. Yep. How appropriately named. And you listen to that. When I heard that the first time in the series, and you know, only ran through it once as of this recording, so I don't remember the first time you hear it. It's very much its own. But I would eat my hat if <laughs> if if it was you know it if uh, the the person composing that or you know if, if if it was you know no no that that eye of the tiger what what is that I've, I've never heard of that no that that had you know that had no bearing on the note like shut up yes it <laughs> yes it did it was uh so it it was its own thing but it was you know you hear that doom 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 and you you are thinking eye of the tiger if you're watching that there's no way you're not and there is no way that that was accident in my mind that that is oh, my yeah. humble opinion so <laughs> Well, no, it's funny because you're listening and, like, if you listen to all the other music in Megalobox, Get Up stands out because it sounds like it's coming from the 80s. So you know immediately that it wasn't just like – they didn't just stumble into making a song that sounded like Eye of the Tiger. Like, they deliberately, deliberately evoked that by making that intro the way it was. Because, I mean, Eye of the Tiger, Rocky, come on. Yeah, come on. You know, so that was another thing, too, about the – the narrative structure and the plot and me admittedly not being uh familiar with the original with tomorrow's joe um you know but watching this i remember a lot of the fun was of it was i like something you like something that you don't see something coming and it swerves you so having said that though there were some fun moments in this where we weren't right every time which was great but there were a couple of times where you kind of call it, you kind of see what's going to happen. You know, I'm thinking, uh, you know, every little interaction, every time you see um, kind of a an inner moment of conflict with Yuri thinking about Joe or vice versa, I'm thinking, gearless Joe, he's going to go all the way. Who ever heard of boxing without <laughs> without uh, without gears, without technical equipment. Who, who ever heard of such a thing, right? Unheard of. I, I don't know. Maybe that would catch on. I, I, I don't know in a, in a parallel universe. But as as he's going up the ranks, I'm going, Yuri, he's going he's gonna to ditch the gear. He's going to ditch the gear. Joe gets all the way going gearless. And Yuri's seeing this guy, and he's like, forget all the pomp and circumstance. Forget the money the development of this technology that, you know, the company is clearly invested in experimenting and selling to uh, military contractors or the highest bidder, I don't even know. Forget all of that. You just have two fighters with that fighting instinct and that desire to push themselves and to fight a quote-unquote worthy opponent. And you see Yuri saying that this guy, he's the real deal. And it's just like, once you know that about Joe, you know that about Yuri, you're like, there's no way in the final match that Yuri's going to be fighting Joe with, you know, the best gear available. And Joe's fighting bareback (laughs) with nothing. And if Yuri won that, it would haunt Yuri for the rest of his days. He'd be like, same thing he was saying to uh, Mikio when they're testing each other out and testing each other's nerves and has that moment you know was that you that decided to block or was that just your gear and so there, there was a lot of stuff like that there's a lot of like you said very reminiscent of 
shonen in general, uh, but also boxing movies, particularly American boxing movies. Everybody thinks Rocky right off the bat. And just, yeah, just, just the 80s in general, I really felt a lot of that. I remember excitement, you pointed it out, first off going, Johnny, is that, I go, what? He's like, it's a montage. In an anime, yeah. in a contemporary anime, it's a montage. It was a honest to God montage. We don't we don't really see that in American films much anymore. We don't see that much in anime. So uh, they were definitely going for that vibe. Yeah, I, one of my favorite moments. I don't I don't know if it was during the montage. I don't remember exactly, but you know they there's that moment where or maybe it was during the montage when Joe is going up the ranks and you have Yuri and he's beating the machine. And there's a moment where he does pretty decent. He gets like a 71%. And he start, he starts rubbing his head and walking away. And immediately he hears, oh, Gearless Joe is ranked up to 34 or something. And he immediately drops his stuff. And he hears that moment. He remembers that moment when he walked into the underground. And Joe was like, is that what you call megalo boxing? And he immediately puts his thing back down and starts fighting the thing again. It's like, that's such a, it's, that's so boxing movie that's so american boxing movie it's not even funny but at the same time it's very shonen-y but it's shonen without kids it's shonen without teenagers it's shonen i uh, you know it's it's the shonen ideal applied to adults and i think you know that's one of the things that made megalobox so interesting was moments like that how it took stuff that we know of in contemporary anime and mixed it in a very throwback style to the old days. We see a montage. Look at the character designs, all right? Women look like women, and they have noses. Everyone has noses. Uh, Everybody is very well-defined as an adult, and there are varying degrees of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a brand new toy, but it feels like you're playing with one that you've loved your whole life. Like, it, it, Megalobox was something that, you know, no matter where you started at, you can't help but appreciate it. You can't help but appreciate the heart that goes into it. Yeah, absolutely. But in the spirit of uh, getting things somewhat on a familiar course for our listeners, uh, might be tough, but what, what do you think, uh, as far as you personally, Mike, you know, favorite uh, character or characters and why? Oh, God. Uh I've always said that the mark of a truly great show, series, movie, OVA, across any medium, across, you know, animated, real life, whatever, is how well the characters are written and how well they're executed. And Megalobox is one of those rare instances where every single character, you can understand them. You can get behind them. Even if you you can love them, you can hate them. They elicit an emotion from you. Um, God, like the Team Nowhere, you know, the Joe, Nambu, and uh, Sachio. Every, like, they they all came from different corners of the underground. One, you know, Sachio was with a gang of roving kids because he's an orphan. Joe is, Joe and Nambu were together. Nambu's a, you know, drunken, you know, he throws fights, and then Joe is just kind of, you know, going through life trying to get it together. You can't not get behind Joe. You can't. Like, his voice actor, Yoshimasa Hosoya, who is, I mean, you look at his resume right now, he's done everything, but I think he was a perfect fit for Joe. Uh, you know, Joe is the literally, not just because his name is Junk Dog, but he's literally the epitome of the underdog. You at no point, like with a regular Shonen series, like if you see Goku, you're like, oh, who's going to beat Goku? Like, seriously, even now that we've got a new Broly movie, it's like we know that Goku's going to win. With Joe, you never feel like he's going to win. Like, you want to believe it, but then you look against these people that he's going against, and you're like, there's no way. There's no way he can beat him. He, he got knocked down in the first round. He almost went to 10. How's he going to beat him? That's perfect. That's the con- that's that they perfectly brought that character to life and made you believe that he couldn't win. And I think that's phenomenal. Um, I really like Yuri. Now, 
you know, we'll probably get into this later, but, and I won't go too deep into it now, but I mean, as soon as I looked at Yuri, I thought, I think the director, I think he might be a fan of uh, Kawajiri, Yoshiaki Kawajiri. I don't want to say that because, you know, I didn't want to project my own, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to, you don't want to believe like, oh, this guy was inspired. Is that a JoJo reference? Like, you don't want to believe that everything that you like is connected, but I knew as soon as I looked at Yuri, I'm like, he's got to be like the director had to have seen something from uh, from Yoshiaki Kawajiri. And he end up, he does. But we'll talk about that, you know, later. Um, I really liked Yuri a lot because it, one of the things I liked about Yuri so much was he's the champion. But even though he's the champion, he realizes that he can't just take it for granted. Because how many times have you seen in a shonen show or like the bad villain guy is like, haha, yes, I'm the best. And you see him like kind of sort of doing okay, but he never pushes himself. He's always like, you'll never get up to me. I'm the greatest. And even though Joe is fighting without gear and Yuri is without a doubt the most dominant megaloboxer in megalobox, undisputed, he still has those human moments. He still has those moments, like I said, with the uh, where he's fighting the robot trying to get better. He hears that thing that Joe said to him that got to him. He's a human. That's important. You know, he can't he can't be this like flawless uber champion who, uh, you know, Goku punches at the end of the fight. And he, you know, spirit bomb punches and he's done like, no, Yuri was a champion. He's the big guy. He's the he's the he's the Mike Tyson of this punch out boxing game. But he. He had a human side. He had faults. He had fears. And those end up getting the best of him sometimes. And I think that also shocks a lot of other people like Yukiko. You know, she thinks, oh, yes, he's perfect and splendid and amazing. And take your shirt off, Yuri, again, please. And then all of a sudden, Yuri will be like, "Uh, yeah, no, Joe's the real deal. And Yukiko will be like, what? But you have the squillion billion dollar gear on how could you say that you know he's not he's not a perfect he's not perfect and that's that's what makes him so good um the other character i really really liked was uh aragaki the veteran i really liked him because he brought a different dynamic to megalobox because he was i you know spoiler alert for anybody but he was previously uh nambu's student and he ends up going off to war, which was actually the why I'm sure this wasn't it wasn't like this in the original, uh, but, you know, kind of sort of implies Middle Eastern war. Uh, he's a veteran, got his legs blown off, got his, you know, got shrapnel, PTSD. God, he had he had such a good story arc in Megalobox. I would I would almost argue his arc was better than the final one, but. It's not because obviously Yuri and Joe is that's the whole buildup of the show. But man, I I loved Aragaki just because he he br- he brings a different element to it. He showed that Megalobox wasn't just a huge wasn't just a shonen series. It wasn't just a I'm gonna be the best around. Like it it really another another thing that humanized Megalobox was like look this guy was he was on track to be Joe before Joe gets his legs blown off his ptsd was going to kill himself uh and it's very it's very intense but he comes back he starts fighting back and he wants to fight joe faces demons i mean what's not to love and then before i go i just also want to say his trainer was named mr miyagi so you're the best around again that falls under the realm of like you know i'm having a hard time it's like, it, do you believe in coincidences? It's like, well, sometimes, but in this case, you know, I do, yeah, Miss, had <laughs> a trainer, Mister Miyagi. Um, you know, just to jump off of that, um, yeah, this was one. About every character brought something to the table. Um, I forget his name now. I wouldn't say a favorite character, but you know, very interesting very stoic and disturbing and terrifying was the Yakuza boss that is oh, yeah. kind of the um, sort of the impetus in a way uh, and then later is sort of this obstacle and so on and so forth. But um, 
you know, I, I almost wondered if you were going to forget to mention him, but yeah, Aragaki, first of all, the dude, you know, you, you've got that, was that butterfly really there or not sort of thing, um, you know, which, you, you know, when when he went through that initial trauma, in any event, he owned that, and, you know, he symbolically, this dude's the manliest dude you could ever see, he gets, gets a butterfly tattoo on his chest, and it's a boxing movie, so I'm thinking he floats like a butterfly. Maybe he stings like a bee, too. Yeah, And uh, you know that has to be a good character. When I'm watching this, I don't have the criticism lens on. I'm just enjoying this. And I'm genuinely conflicted. I'm watching him. I learn about his backstory. And I don't remember which episode it was exactly, but all of a sudden I'm like... I, I'm kind of rooting for him now. Like, this guy should win it. Holy cow! What? What? You know, what a backstory. What the the obstacles this guy went through, and you know, it's also great there because we see so much of this character. We see his backstory. We see a wonderful. Um, maybe that'll be cathartic for some people. I, I hope it is. Um, whether they, you know, in the military where they have PTSD or or otherwise, but. You know, he gets to that point where he's trying to recapture something that's lost. For a little while, he kind of is... It's like it's like The Godfather. Oh, it's nothing personal. It's just business. Well, it was, it was personal. As in The Godfather, it's like, no, it is personal, too. Um, he was trying to, uh, you know what? I'm going to beat the snot out of your protege to hurt you, Nanbu, because you hurt me. And that whole feeling, which was actually really it was underscored it was it was it was there but it was subtle because again this doesn't mean they're bad or anything but in like a lot of shonen stuff you would have heard an inner monologue or he would have shouted angrily eventually like that was supposed to be me get out blah 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 blah. never comes up you never even hear him thinking that but you know it's there you know that's you know that's just digging into him but you know before the end he realizes, not doing it for Joe, not doing it for Nanbu, for himself, he lets that go. And initially he thought, once I beat up Nanbu's new protege, I humiliate Nanbu, then I can move on. And it's great that he has the wisdom before the end to realize that's not how that works. You can't, because you're just going to move the goalpost. And even if he had beaten Joe, you know, so he decides there, you know what? Fair, unfair, whatever you want to call it. Life happened. It went the way it went. And Nanbu's in a different place now. And I'm in a different place now. And he ends up realizing, you know what? I'm going to move on. And... You know, he, he, he had a support group there. You can see, speaking of Mr. Miyagi and the gym he's training at, they're all uh, people who have, like, you can see the artificial limbs. You can see they are um, disabled or injured in some way. And so, he, you know, he, he takes, you know, that on as a new cause as well, something constructive um, and therapeutic and healing, not just for himself but for others. So what an interesting character before I go on all day there, but also in these episodes, I remember you commenting on this as we were watching or shortly thereafter, it's where you see a lot more of Nanbu too. You know, when we're introduced to him, kind of think, I didn't know he was going to go along for the whole ride, to be honest. You just kind of think like, oh, is this some, you know, small time, you know, whoever that Joe's got to kind of get past to make it to the quote unquote big time. You know, he's... He's working it in these uh, underground fights and has just kind of, you know, gotten comfy in a in a niche and is just like, come on, Joe, come on, just throw the fight, put up a good fight, but throw the fight. We get paid. I'll go drink. You do whatever you want with your money, and we do it all again, and and that's pretty much it. And you think, you think not very highly of him, but then you see his backstory, and it reminds me of a certain quote: "Everybody's fighting a battle." you know nothing about and you see Nanbu's backstory was no he was the real deal and you see that when he's training Joe later on like he knows his stuff he's a trainer he's a coach he's a teacher 
and he loved being that. And you can see that what happened with Aragaki and he thought he was dead, that, you know, it is on Nanbu. He never, he never says that's not on him because Aragaki's like, you said you'd wait for me. You, you didn't check hard enough kind of thing. And that's all true, but, you know, that broke Nanbu's world, too, when he thought Aragaki, his golden boy, was dead. And he kind of packed it up and closed the shop, and that was that. And, you know, so you you see then eventually that um, Megalonia is not just, as we find out later, um, you know, through the, the result of machinations of uh, Yakuza boss who wants to rig it for big money, but along the way, I think Nanbu recaptures that dream as well. So you see kind of a full spectrum. You see Joe, he's young, I think early 20s, you know, he he's restless, he wants to make a name for himself. You see Sachio, who's a young kid, who's been through a hell of a lot for being such a young kid, and he's looking to belong and, you know, is is looking for you know, a little bit of the glory as well. Um, and, and then Nanbu, who's, you know, the old grizzled member of the team and recapturing a little bit of that, of that lost glory. So it was, it's just a uh, phenomenal cast of characters all around. Oh yeah. Well, uh, you know, the thing with Nanbu, and again, one of the things that makes Megalobox so good is you think that you have the characters all figured out and it'll kind of, it's like, it's like a, it's like a weaving of thread. The whole, all of the thread together is Megalobox. And sometimes the way the episodes are going, they'll lead you in one direction. And you're like, oh, this guy's the main character. And then you slowly start to see something happen with Nanbu. And you realize that there's these little bits and pieces that you may or may not have paid attention to that you're like, oh shit. Like this is, this is a, you know, this was a thread that I didn't realize was there. And then you go off on it and it reveals a whole another aspect to the character. Cause you're like, that's why Nanbu was so good at it because that's why Nanbu was so good at throwing fights was because he knew how to train a fighter. He knew when to when it would look good because he had done it before. And you don't really think about that. That's how good, that's really how good the storytelling was. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even uh, <laughs> even some of the side characters we got. Um, the guy's name was Pepe Iglesias uh, from Mexico, if I'm recalling right. And then was it Glenn Burroughs? Is that the guy's yep, name? Yep, Glenn Burroughs. Glenn Burroughs was, um, I think he was American, wasn't he? I'm pretty sure he was, <laughs> he was American and it certainly had I'm American pretty, boys. I'm pretty sure he was American. He, he kind of gave off that look. He certainly did and that vibe. And uh, boy, you know, we checked... And as of this recording, you know, I, I don't think you did either. I couldn't find those guys being credited, which was a shame because the uh, Pepe Iglesias, whoever did him, sounded like a native speaker of Spanish. He was speaking in Spanish. Uh, and as as was the case, um, has not yet been dubbed in English um, officially. I'm sure it will, though. Wink, wink. Um but, you know, we're watching this in Japanese, and in the Japanese, uh, it's not just a Japanese guy doing his best at English. It's somebody who speaks English, um, like I said, it sounded like an American accent, um, you know, natively. So, Well, uh, it's funny you say that, because I'm looking at A&N again, and according to them, they actually have, uh, for Glenn Burroughs, they have a Matt P., as the as Glenn Burroughs, which they did not have before when we were originally looking. And then for Pepe Iglesias, they have a Roberto G, but they do not link to anything. And on Anime News Network, it looks like those are their only credits. So, uh, but yeah, no, they, they were complete unknowns. And again, you know, you gotta give, you gotta give it to, to Megalobox and how much, and you could tell they really cared about it because like John was saying, they spoke their own language, you know, like Pepe Iglesias spoke Spanish. Glenn Burroughs spoke English in a Japanese dubbed anime. It's phenomenal. Get out. I, days ago, mere days ago, we looked on A&M, we looked elsewhere, could not find it. So 
thumbs up, man, and good job, whoever was on that. I, I, I imagine some other people were probably like, hey, yeah, who, who did that? Like, come on, they did a good, they did a good job, and it's, it's like, you know, give them a little, little credit, little, uh, little shout out there. So that's great. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's just then go into as we were uh, alluding to before, but you know, let's go a little bit more into, I guess, kind of the. Um, cinematographic side of things, if you will, uh, or anything else with the theme, with the storytelling, you know, how it was presented, um, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, this made me talk a little bit about its uh, director. And um, what do you think the fact that this thing exists, that we know as Megalobox, you know, what do you think that's going to do for its director's career? What do you think, um, as we've seen, it really seems to have made some ripples what do you think that means possibly for anime in the future from here on out well you know it's it's crazy when you know one of the first things that we told each other was like who who's the guy who directed this because this guy was you you coined the term or i don't know if you coined the term or you got it from someone else but make anime cinematic again and that was something that director yo moriyama understood he understood that even though megalobox was a 13 episode tv series he shot it like a piece of cinema he understood that he wanted to make that every part the voice acting and the music and the animation and the scenes all had to line up together it wasn't just throw voice actors throw random music throw random ambiance throw plot together and just kind of like layer it like a cake, kind of, sort of, whatever. He weaved the entire thing together in a way that, I'll go out and say it right now, Megalobox is the best anime in the last, fuck, I don't know, since Madoka, maybe? Or, uh, you know, Redline, probably Madoka, because it's the last. that was the last time that I remember watching an anime and thinking... This is a piece of cinema. The guy who's shooting this, the director, understands that this isn't just a piece of entertainment. It's a piece of cinema. Uh, I'm looking at the stat. I'm looking at the credits right now just to show how much Mr. Moriyama was part of this. Uh, he was the director. He was the storyboard for episode one. He was the episode director for episode one. So episode one literally was his baby. He was the conceptual design. For the series, I mean, like the Megalobox was his baby. He made sure that that first episode, pun very much intended, packed the right kind of punch. Um, you know, I referenced this a little bit earlier. You know, we're talking about cinema. Crunchyroll did an interview with uh, Yo Moriyama talking about like his influences and all that, and he talked about being influenced by Yoshiaki Kawajiri in particular. Uh, Cyber City Oedo 808, which going back to what I said earlier, I was like, I knew it because I looked at Yuri and I'm like, that's totally a Kawajiri design. If you have ever, Ninja Scroll, if you have ever watched a Yoshiaki Kawajiri anime, you know, because there's always a character who looks like they've got the big, poofy, like over the top glam 80s hair and they've got a particular kind of face. That's when you know you're watching a Kawajiri anime and I'll fight anybody. Yoshiaki Kawajiri is one of the top 10 anime directors of all time, period. He is such a phenomenal director. He's in the same vein as, uh, you know, Hiroki Hayashi, Ano. He's he's up there because of the way that he directs. He's a no-bullshit director. He, he directs everything, no matter what it is, in a way that pacing is king. And any director who ever puts pacing as their number one priority always has a better thing, always has a better product because they under, no matter what the positives and negatives are, they put it together in a way that's engaging no matter what. And you could tell that Yo Moriyama went from that school of thought because you get to the end of an episode of Megalobox and you look at your phone or your watch or whatever and you're like, has it been 30 minutes already? Like, no way. Like, that's how engaged you are in it, which is the mark of a truly good director who understands pacing. Um, 
and this is his first, this is his directorial debut, ladies and gentlemen. This is the first thing he has ever done. You want to talk about jumping out of the gate? He's Joe. He's he's literally junk dog, gearless Joe, because nobody knew who he was, and all of a sudden he makes this gigantic leap out of the starting gate, and everybody's like, "Whoa, who's this guy?" And all of a sudden it's like, "No, he's up there now." He he. It feels so good to have an anime director that you're just like. Oh my God! I recognize an anime director now. He's not just a, you know, a director with no style, no theme. He doesn't have any kind of presence. He, his his directing doesn't have any kind of uh, uniqueness to it. Right off the bat, like I said in that interview, he is taking from the old school. He's a throwback, even though he's a brand new director. Crunchyroll asked him, "Do you think more anime are going to be made like this?" He said, "No," but. I firmly believe that that will make everything that he does great because he will be bringing to the table something that anime fans will not see very often. When Yo Moriyama makes a series, people will watch it. It's like when Gen Urobuchi makes a series. It doesn't matter what he what it is. People go to Gen Urobuchi because he's a phenomenal writer. And I'll fight anybody who says him. He might be called the Uro Butcher for a reason, but he's a phenomenal writer. Yo Moriyama is now there. He's a rising star. He's a hot commodity. I would think he's a hot commodity. But most importantly, he understands that you need something different. He said it himself in the interview. Anime, I got good. That's the reason that I understand what I'm doing and I like what I'm doing and I make the anime that I do is because I don't just watch anime. And the anime that I do watch isn't the same 12 series coming out every season. And I think that's really important for anime. Is every single series he make going to be like that? No, because, you know, not every Watanabe series was Cowboy Bebop. But that being said, you know, if we get something akin, you know, if we get Moriyama's version of Space Dandy next, I... I'm perfectly okay with that. That's some that that's something else I look forward to. And I think that's that's a positive for anime across the board. Well said. And I cannot do better. <laughs> um so I should just shut up. I've I've said that multiple times in this podcast. I probably should take my own advice, but um it, it was really satisfying me, you know, being a film critic, uh and you being a filmmaker. It was really fun seeing that uh, we saw that interview afterwards. I don't remember when it came out. It might have even come out after the last episode here, but I can't recall at the moment. But we saw it after that, and you have that sense of validation. Uh, if you're film literate, you're watching this Moriyama. And before we even knew who he was, like, this person knows what they're doing. And you look, you look him up real quick, and it's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He's no newbie to the industry. He's worked his way up. But this was his directorial debut? You are kidding me. And we both had that uh, that Yuri reaction to seeing Joe. Yeah, he might be fighting underground. Oh, he's, he looks a little scruffy. He's this, he's this young upstart. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't even have good gear. But if you know your stuff, you look past that. And you can see plain as day, this guy's the real deal. And that's how I, what I feel about Moriyama right now. And, you know, as I said before, you know, we'll watch your career with great interest. Like, oh my gosh. Like, you know, I've, and I've seen some people say like, well, the ending felt a little rushed. You know, okay. Like, first of all, you know, had 13 episodes. It's very clear that they had 13 episodes, that he had 13 episodes to work with because I think we even called that like, hey, what are the chances Yuri and Joe, it's going to be 13 rounds. It ended up being 13 rounds. Uh, these are not arbitrary numbers like, you know, I think that's all I need. He had to do 13 episodes, you know. If he had had more time, if he had had free reign, who knows? But again, this is his directorial debut, so I'm not surprised that he's... It's it's frightening, actually, how good he is, because he oh, he's not quite to a Hiroki Hayashi, but he's close. <laughs> he's already close. And uh, 
you know, it, it'd be so interesting. I would love to, you know, see future. I'm sure there will be plenty of future interviews with him. I'd love to pick his brain. I'd love to know. Uh, we, we've brought him up a couple times already, but it's hard watching this to not speculate a little. Like, you know, I wonder if this would have existed or at least looked the way it did or been presented the way it did, had, you know, hip-hop soundtrack without Shinichiro Watanabe, you know, without stuff like Cowboy Bebop and Samurai Champloo paving the way a little bit. Um, it's not to take away from it in its own originality. And like you said, again, speaking of validation, you had that uh, with, like, <laughs> Cyber City or something. And, um, you know, I, I felt that. You probably did, too. I felt that a little bit when um, Joe meets up with Yuri. He's on his motorcycle and almost hits Yukiko, and they're outside, you know, and, and you see this big stadium-looking thing under construction. And I could not help but think, Akira. You, you, you think that in your mind if you are, again, film literate and or you've seen uh, Otomo's movie. You, you think that. And then I, you know, we read the interview and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Cyber City, Uido 808 and uh, Akira. Yeah, definitely. Those were hugely influential. And you go, wow, <laughs> how about that? You know, one of the other things I think I really like about Yo Moriyama and his when I say he makes things cinematic. I, I don't think a lot of people really recognize what that is. And a big part of that is show don't tell. There's a scene, spoiler, where uh, Joe is expected to throw the fight at Megalonia. And what's his nuts? The really creepy uh, Yakuza guy is there. And Nanbu is sweating because he's like, you know what? No, I, I don't know if I can, which, you know, I don't want to lose my eye. And then all of a sudden, Nambu's just like, screw it, Joe, fight, blah, 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 and he goes for it, and right as soon as he does that, the, everybody, you know, the henchmen go, ah, blah, 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 and then it pans, or it shows the, uh, uh, the Yakuza guy, and he's eating this fish, and right as Nambu betrays his orders, he doesn't say anything, nothing is said, no dialogue is said, and the guy goes to put his fork in the fish, and he pops the eye out. I'm going to be kind of controversial here, but there's a lot of anime fans today who need to be spoon-fed every little thing, and they would completely miss that nuance. They would completely miss the nuance of, you don't need to be told he's going to lose his eye. Oh, symbolism, he popped the eye out. It's a it's the little details like that that make Megalobox so good because Megalobox was literally the extreme of show don't tell. It was a cinematic anime masterpiece. Now I'll, yeah, I'll go on to another thing that I really appreciated. One, all the episode titles are f badass. born to die. Uh, I look at some of the other ones cause we were going through them and they're all in English and I'm just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, okay. Let's look at some of these gear is dead. The man only dies once. Let's dance with death until the last dog dies. Like, oh my God. Hype. The music, the everything. Hype, hype, hype. This anime abused cliffhangers. You get to the end of an episode, you're like, ah, you're tearing your hair out because that's how well it was done. And, uh, you know, I just, I know we said this when we were going through it, but I can't remember the last time that I had an anime like elicit emotion from me, like just like I was completely, utterly, absolutely engaged in the anime and I wanted to know everything. And but I, you know, I was I wanted to be along for that ride. And I understand like one of the things about Megalobox is that it plays with your expectations a lot. So when the ending happened, I think, again, a lot of newer anime fans were like, oh, well, it's it's rushed and it's not. What everybody wanted was they wanted Yuri and Joe to punch each other, but Yuri to go down first and then raise Joe's hand and the Megalobox theme pop up, which, by the way, the Megalobox soundtrack, go download it. It's the most hype thing. You can work out to that. It's amazing. But honestly, I would not. That's the only thing I would have changed about the ending. Everything else was fine. And I don't and I think just because people missed that they didn't get that like deliberate moment 
of Joe's hand being raised, and he did it. He won Megalonia in this really uh, upfront way. I feel like people made it out to be rushed. I don't. I don't think. I don't think the way they did it was necessarily bad, and I don't think it was rushed. I think he did it that way deliberately. And was it a little bit odd considering like all of the hype? especially the hype going into going into episode 13 from episode 12. Oh my God. The beginning of episode 13 was just like, I felt the like goosebumps jumping off of my body. The adrenaline was ridiculous, but I don't think the ending was bad. I just think that the ending was much like Joe. It was unexpected. He came, nobody knew who he was and he left. Nobody knew who he was, you know? I mean, obviously they knew who he was, but I, I understand where people are coming from. But I like the way that they did the ending because it wasn't a cliche. They still played with your expectations all the way to the end. And quite honestly, that last shot where they have his record and it goes seven and whatever undefeated, you know, Megalonia champion. It's like that's all you that's all you need to see. Yeah, you know, I and, and I want to, um, you know, chime in there that like, though I might concede, well, perhaps it was a bit rushed, which is also subjective. You know, I certainly don't think the ending was bad. And you see, you know, saw Yuri in a wheelchair and what? Did not see that coming. And you get to see Joe made his point. And you get the feeling, which is all about his character. Like, he didn't want to be Yuri. He wanted to beat Yuri. And he did. And he proved to the world, and most importantly to himself, that he could. That he was championship material. That, well, you don't have your proper ID card, so I get, 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 well, screw that. I don't need it. I'll let my fist do the talking. And that's, you know, I remember watching a uh, boxing documentary one time, and that's, you know, um, as we see here, Japanese production done beautifully. But that's probably something, that's why it resonates with us and a lot of American viewers, is because that's, that's Americana. That's so American. Boxing. And as I recall somebody saying this, I wish I could remember to quote them properly, um, rich kids don't go into boxing. You know, boxing was one of those things. That's why it's the most American feel-good ideal of a sport that we probably have is because it's almost always, it's people like Joe. It's people at the bottom. It's people who are poor. It's people who have no other recourse to get ahead in life than to get punched in the face over and over and over and over again, and to claw their way literally to the top. You know, going on further about, you know, like you said, um, and granted, I'll admit, I've not kept up to date with um, as much anime as, as I used to anymore, just a time thing. So I've seen, in the last five plus years, I've seen some good anime, uh, good social commentary, uh, like One Punch Man, which is also fun. I've seen drama, horror, and it's made me feel emotions like Attack on Titan, and all well done. But I can't remember the last time, and I'm sure someone else out there has said it, probably, but no, that was, uh, that, that just came from the heart when I said, somebody's making anime cinematic again. I can't remember the last time I've seen an anime, you know, TV show, not like a, you know, Miyazaki movie or you know, Ghibli production or something, you know, that, you know, really felt cinematic. And perhaps someone will make the case one day he needs to have more of a, a catalog of films, which, uh, or in this case, you know, anime, whatever he does, which I'm sure he eventually will throughout his career, to have a uh, an actual auteur, uh, you know, analysis performed. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think of somebody like, oh... Tomohiko Ito, who is competent, who's very good at what he does. He's directed a lot of anime people are probably familiar with. A lot of what he does, though, is because it's his job. I've heard the term, people call it a mature ensemble, a scene set, or what have you, is they are not, they're not, uh, you know, they're translating someone else's vision, basically. And, you know, versus here, like a Yu Moriyama, like a, a Shinichiro Watanabe, where they have more carte blanche and they can uh, creatively, you know, put their thumbprint on it, their seal, their signature on it, 
and you know it really shines through in this um and again that interview uh with Moriyama where he says you know he watched a lot of boxing movies a lot of actual fights and you can see that in you know the the, the camera angles for one that that's just a result of that i think and again on that cinematic note and again on the note of subtlety <laughs> i remember us saying this when nanbu was seeing the uh yakuza guy and uh he's like threatening to turn him into soup and the guy's just coolly back there, and Nanbu's saying, oh, well, uh, gee, trying to explain himself, and he's got his sleeves rolled up, and you see the tattoos, and he's just, he just takes, scoops a ladle, pours a thing of soup, and uh, hands it over to Nanbu, and Nanbu's like, he just has this look of dread as he's looking at it, before he then, like, closes his one good eye he has at that point, and takes a swig of it, <laughs> and I think you said it, and we, we both had the same reaction, but you were like, Oh, you know he just ate a guy there. Like he, oh yeah, you know he no, just ate a absolutely. guy. You're like, oh my god, you didn't have to be told that. And and that's another thing, you know. Even though, what a balance this had of homage to the original Tomorrow's Joe, uh, adapted into an anime, but also you know at heart it's a it's a sports manga, which those have a lot of inner monologue. And as we've talked about before, I think, you know, it's a different mediums, uh, manga versus on the screen. Uh, it shouldn't be as verbose when you translate to the screen, uh, but I digress. So you have moments of inner monologue and stuff like that, but only when it's needed. And, you know, so a, a, another one, we talk about um, Aragaki, when Joe goes and meets him, and you can tell they're kind of having, this is the, of course, I don't want to say cliche, but perhaps it is, you know, but before the fight, they're going to have a little sparring and uh, match with, with their words and kind of uh, checking each other out. And in the background, got these kids are playing basketball, whatever, you know, setting the scene. And I can't remember what Joe said. I think it was something Joe said. I think Joe had it. But so Joe makes this rhetorical jab and it lands. And as he says that, and Aragaki doesn't show it, but you know it's like, you know he's right, you know he made a point on you, swish. Basketball goes through the net, and it's like, it's two points, bro. Like, like, like it, 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 it's full of moments like that. Uh, that if, you, if you're not paying attention, you might just overlook. So that's a great reason to watch it, folks. It's a great reason to re-watch it. I bet there's stuff that, uh, you know, that I miss, that now I'm, I'm excited to uh, get in the ring with Megalobox all over again. Yeah, especially now that... Uh, it's funny, this is something else we were talking about. We're like, how did this not get simuled up? And it, a week or two after it finished airing in Japan, it gets picked up by Viz. So I'm like, ooh, Viz is picking it up. So we'll have another reason to go back through uh, Megalobox. That's right, that's right. I'd, I'd love to watch this dubbed. And, you know, Viz, I'm like, hey, all right, I'm excited. Let's see see what you guys got. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. I think they'll I think they'll do a good job, so... There you go, as though it needed an excuse uh, to watch this again. Well, mi amigo, is there uh, anything else you wanted to uh, to gush about while we were here today? I know this was very um, impromptu uh, for you and for me, even more so than usual for this uh, for this cast. But we had a lot of fun. Uh, was there was there anything else you wanted to say to the uh, to the listeners out there before we check out today? Well, the only other thing I wanted to add was there were no teenagers in the entire anime, and the anime was better for it. There were only adults and only kids. There was none of that, like, make anime cinematic again. Get rid of teenagers in anime. Like, I'm tired of that. Let's, let's, adults exist, okay? <laughs> anime, like, they are real. They're heavy set. they're tall, they're skinny, they're broken, they're, they have noses. Let's bring adults back to anime because when they're when they're there you don't have any of that like like you see a teenager in anime and like some of my favorite uh all, almost all my favorite anime of all time revolve around teenagers but they are without a doubt the number one like 99 percent of anime now i'm fucking tired of it like i want to see diff there are different groups of people just like looking at sachio and his his gang of kids like they were 
12 years old. They were like eight or seven. They had a different attitude because they were just kids. They weren't super angsty. They weren't, you know, oh, this is my best friend in school. Also, there were no schools. Fuck schools. I'm tired of schools and anime. Let's <laughs> let's not, okay? Like, let's let's get away from that. There's more to the world of, of there's more to the cinematic universe of anime than high schools and teenagers. Let's get away from it. Megalobox proved that if you eliminate teenagers, not only will your an not only will your anime survive, it'll thrive. So that's the only other thing I wanted to add. But don't we want to see angsty teen Joe in the in the after school boxing club? And oh, what if what if Yukiko doesn't like me? It, it, it... You know, it was really great <laughs> not having inner monologues about oh, I'm not good enough. It's like, you know what? There were moments where Joe believed that, but he didn't have to fucking say it. He just did. it. He was just like, oh, man. I'm, I'm having a hard time sleeping. Tonight. I don't know if I can get up tomorrow, but he did because he's like 23 or five or whatever. And he realizes that not getting up is not an option. You know, like that, that's people don't realize how much different that is when the main characters are not like 12. And like I said, Evangelion is one of my favorite anime. Tenchi Muyo is one of my favorite anime. Some of my favorite anime have been absolutely 100% teenagers but you know you look at megalobox you look at an anime like black heaven the the problems of adults and the way adults approach those problems are completely different and not i'm not just saying that as an adult myself i'm just saying like even when i was a kid all of my favorite shows revolved around adults i'm tired i don't care i don't give a fuck about school i don't give i don't care about their stupid relationship problems they want to have a relationship that it can happen but that doesn't always need to be there. These tropes do not always need to be in there. They don't need to be thrust into the plot. Megalobox proved that you don't need any of that. It's just baggage. Old men yelling at cloud <laughs> moment, folks. But, Back in my day. But, you know, it's just, I mean, you'd get tired of the same thing every day, wouldn't you? You know what I mean? Like, if you had the same thing for lunch every day, it's just, we've been inundated with it. So it was nice. I got to reiterate. It was nice. It's not set in school. It's not about some teenager and, oh, so-and-so, what if they don't like me or notice me or, oh, social angst, which it's all fine. And depending on where you're at in life, that that's great. You know, I really enjoyed uh, Watamote. You know, that that's fine. But we can do other stuff, too. And I hope for the industry at large, um... You know, as was Bebop and so many other examples, uh, you know, I, I heard Digibro saying this one time, like, oh, you know, anime should be more artistic like Bebop and not as commercial. Like, I mean, take your pick, you know, it's a, a baker's dozen any given season of, you know, generic whatever. In a perfect world, yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, Bebop was produced to sell toys. So that commercial side in the wonderful capitalist system that we have, like that's always going to be there. And so it's a necessity. So Bebop artistically successful. Yes. was also commercially successful. Same with Evangelion, same with, you know, most other stuff. If, if, you know, they wanted to keep their head above water. So, but that's what we're showing here with Moriyama. And I'll reiterate what you said, Mike, it's like, it can be done. We can do stuff. That's not set in school. We can do stuff that's not set with teenagers in the after school club and the blah, 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 blah. We can do once in a while other stuff. And it's all good. And it's nice to have variety. Something, something, spice of life. So I think that'll uh, be it. I don't know how many rounds, you know, we, we, uh, we may have gone here, but, uh, you know, it definitely felt like a team effort. So I want to thank you again, buddy, for hopping in here today. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure of mine. Thank you, uh, listeners, for uh, for for once again listening. And I apologize that my podcast <laughs> installments are so infrequent. Oh, so busy nowadays. But uh, we're gonna keep going as long as we can. We're gonna rotate uh, the cast, some familiar voices, maybe some new ones, maybe some special guests, and you never know what title we're gonna cover. So if you want to hear more, subscribe to us on YouTube. We're on iTunes. Um, I got a Twitter, I got a Facebook, wherever you want to go to keep up to date with us, and we'll keep you up to date. 
whenever <laughs> whenever those podcast installments uh speaking of things you know however infrequently it's nice when they do come out um you know and and so hopefully we get get more who cares hopefully we get more from more yama hopefully we get more of making anime cinematic again i like that we're gonna make that a thing <laughs> so make that a shirt yeah that'd be a, that'd be a great t-shirt there there you go so thanks again everybody And we'll see you next time.